Morning, church. In times such as what we live in, what we need most is a word from Christ. The remedy of everything that goes against our way of living, our way of thinking, the remedy for it is a view of Christ. We need a fresh revelation of Jesus Christ, don't we? We need to see Him. We see Him through His Word today. One day we'll see Him as He is. We'll be like Him. So, uh, talk about revelation there. We need a revelation of Him. That's what uh, this book is about that uh, we are studying. And it's about the glory of Jesus Christ our Lord. And in our text today, we witness one of the grandest pictures of of all the Bible, of who Christ is. It's the unveiling of Christ. I mean, you actually can see Him by the vivid description. It's brilliant splendor that we have of Christ in this text. This had to be encouraging to John, who wrote this letter. He was under persecution, and not only was it for him and his encouragement, but to all the rest of the church, that was being persecuted throughout the land, throughout the empire under Diocletius. And so, when you think about that, it's like, wow, God came at the right time for John and the church, and for 2,000 years we have this book. This vision of Christ is not a future vision. Much of the book is future. This is not future This is present vision. This is Christ. It's not one that says this is what Jesus Christ will be like and what He will do in the future. It is who He is. What He does now. That is what counts as we look at this. So it's very present even for us. It's a vision of the glorified Lord of the church. It depicts Christ in His holy majestic glory. He's a God to be feared, to be in awe of. And as we see this description, we certainly will experience that. That's our prayer today. Uh, He has a ministry to His body, His church. Present ministry is going on now. So, as we pray here in a moment, we want to pray that He opens our eyes to this truth of the glorified Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, great God, You are truly awesome. And Your Word is truth. Every word of it is. Lord, we are privileged to be able to get into Your very words, a letter written to John, to the seven churches, to the church that is here today that is even in this local church, it is to us. As we get a glimpse of the person of Christ that is much more than what walked this, who walked this earth as recorded in the Gospels, but He's seen in His full glory, transcendent. He's beyond us, but yet He comes and shows us who He is. Lord, we thank You so much that we get this glimpse today. 
give us a fresh view of Christ, a fresh view of His Word. It's a precious promise to us. May we be encouraged throughout this text and see Him as holy. In Jesus' name, Amen. Let's turn to that book, book of Revelation, chapter 1, starting at verse 9. This is a vision of Jesus Christ glorified. I, John, your brother and fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom and perseverance which are in Jesus, was on the island called Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day, and I heard behind me a loud voice like the sound of a trumpet saying, Write in a book what you see, and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, and to Smyrna, and to Pergamum, and to Thyatira, and to Sardis, and to Philadelphia, and to Laodicea. Then I turned to see the voice that was speaking with me, and having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the middle of the lampstands, I saw one like a son of man, clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head and his hair were white like white wool, like snow, and his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace, and his voice was like the sound of many waters." In his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun, shining in its strength. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. And he placed his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid, I am the first and the last, and the living one. And I was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and of Hades. Therefore, write the things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are like angels, are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches." The Word of God, He can be seated. Thank you for standing. God is honored when we talk about His Word. You want to talk about His revelation? Man, what a text. Pray for me that I can get at least the most basic view of what is here because the depth of this is way beyond anything that I can even put in human language. It is incredible. John did the best that he could. And with the Holy Spirit, that's the best that could be written down for us to be able to understand what Christ looks like, who He is in His person, what He does. That's what we get to go through today. A lot of verses, we're just going to take each verse and break each verse down and hopefully get some meaning out of it that it will make an impact on our lives. Christ is how we change. And when you look at Him, when you focus on Him, when you don't focus, you don't focus on the things that are going on around you. 
you focus on the person of Christ and He will take care of everything that He's going to do. And that's what He's saying here in this text. That's one of the things. He's holy, folks. And when we get done with it, may we realize that we've just glimpsed into the Holy of Holies. The uh, verse 9 that we start with here, the first verse is starting with the circumstances. 9 through 11 is the situation that John is in at the time. John is the writer. He says, I, John. And he doesn't say, I, John, the apostle. I, John, the privileged one. I, John. Although he is the apostle that wrote the book of John, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, and Revelation. He gave a lot to us via the Holy Spirit. We get to read it. Sitting here 2,000 years later, we get to read this and even ponder on it and think on it. So here, are you ready? No ecclesiastical terms does he use for his name here. I, John, it's like he's in awe that he would be given this view and then the privilege to write it down. I, John, I don't believe it either. You know, he's, he's like us. He's a mere man. But he's a believer. He had the experience here and he's given a commission to write this book. Then he says, Your brother and fellow partaker. Your brother. Uh, people that are in the church. Your brothers. Your sisters in the Lord. Right? That's the idea. Brother. Fellow partaker. Dealing with fellowship. Fellowship in Christ. And so we see that this writer is identifying with the people that he's writing to. He's writing to the seven churches as we learn in verse 11. And he names those churches. And those seven churches are in Asia Minor. One of them happens to be Ephesus. And they're all suffering for their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. They're being persecuted, as I said before. And that's a key point to keep in your mind all the way through, even especially this text and the next two chapters, two and three, and then the rest of the book even. He's writing to encourage them. And he says, a fellow partaker, and that's the idea. Uh, He is suffering right along with the suffering churches. He's suffering, they're suffering, and he comes right alongside with them. So we we get that. He says that they suffer in the tribulation. Here's a book or a letter written to uh, a saint, a suffering saint that John is to the suffering saints of Asia Minor. He identifies with them, they, they identify with him. By the way, He had even pastored at the church at Ephesus, which will be the first church that we look at when we get into chapter 2. So, fellow partaker in the tribulation and kingdom, not only do we share in sufferings, those who desire to live in in Christ will be persecuted. Right? Those who are godly in Christ will be persecuted. The church has always been persecuted. And I know that's great news to hear, isn't it? 
Here we are, we're hitting on tribulation, but it happens to the church, always has, did to Christ, did it the prophets before him, all before Christ, Christ, then the apostles, the rest of the church, two thousand years, they've had that time. And now he says kingdom. What do we mean by the kingdom? Well, this is a present tense. And he identifies them as fellow members of the kingdom, not only in the future, but right now. We live in the kingdom. We're there spiritually. There is a kingdom now, and the kingdom not yet. The fullest meaning of this text here is the kingdom that we all live in. We are fellow partakers of the kingdom, folks. Together. We're in this together. Isn't that exciting? In this kingdom. So, uh, fellow members in a spiritual, invisible kingdom. And he says, I'm along with you guys. I'm a subject of Christ. You're a subject of Christ. Everybody's a subject of Christ. We're members members of a redeemed community. Bought out of slavery and bondage into serving Christ. So there is John the writer and the fellow partaker. And it's all in Christ. You'll notice the little phrase there, the kingdom, the tribulation kingdom and perseverance. There's one other one. We, we uh, share not only in suffering, but persevering. Did you know that? That's what we're doing. We're persevering through this life that we live right now together. Doesn't that offer hope to you? Doesn't it have comfort? Sometimes, you know, when you're alone, you feel alone, but you're not. Because the rest of the body of Christ also is persevering through this. The word there is hupomone, and it simply means to remain under, to stay under, to endure under. That's even better, isn't it? To endure under all the different kind of circumstances. We do it together. I know what it is to suffer, John knows as he writes this, under persecution, just like you are going through. It was severe for them at that time. John was given the most extensive revelation of future things that anybody ever was given. Isn't this God's way? John is suffering under persecution at the Isle of Patmos, and at the same time, He has given the most wonderful, detailed future that anybody has ever gotten. Isn't that like God that does that? I think that is tremendous. We gain the greatest knowledge of God through the deepest of suffering. Does that make sense? Do you know when you go through tough times that you are now depending upon the Lord like you never have before? And you know Him better because of what He is bringing you through and what He's brought you through. Doesn't that help to know what this is all about, right? So persevere, by the way. You know, the perseverance of the saints, that means the saints will persevere. The ones who are belong to God will make this through. They are having eternal life together right now, all the way into the future. No matter what happens. Of course, I think of Romans 8. But we persevere. Or, even better, 
the preservation of the saints. Because even if our actions don't line up like they should, He preserves us. So if you are His, He will preserve you forever. This is great, isn't it? John is encouraging them and says, Hey, you are a fellow partaker in tribulation and in the kingdom that we live in now. And not only that, but to persevere all the way through. We are in this together. John knows that. Situation, he says now, was on the island called Patmos. That's where it's at. Patmos is an island uh, not too far from where Ephesus would be. It's in the Mediterranean Sea. It's about 10 miles long and 5, 6 miles wide is as big as it is. It's not very big, is it? And that's the island where he's at. It's barren, barren, it's rocky. It's a desolate place. It's not a place where you think, oh great, he's at the ocean, you know, and he's going to have a great time on the Mediterranean beach. And that's not so. I mean, rocky crags are there and the ocean has come up there just with tumultuous noises. He's been banished to this remote place and it's a common form of Roman punishment on the people. If the crime was political, you could have a certain amount of freedom to a degree. But if the crime is criminal, in this case, the crime was talking about God's Word and who Christ was. That's why John's a criminal. And so the criminal gets the worst treatment. He's about 90 years old or so. Okay, Sir William Ramsey, a great historian that he is, said this, All this was preceded by scourging on John, marked by perpetual chains, scanty clothing, insufficient food, sleeping on bare ground, in a dark prison cave, working under the lash of a military overseer. It's not a vacation for him. That's what he's going through. We usually think, oh, he's on the Isle of Patmos. It can't be too bad. The nice ocean breeze. So do you get it? This He's suffering severely. So are the other people. He identifies. Why, why is the, he there? Well, we, we said that. It's in the text right here. He was on the island called Patmos because... Why was he there? Because of the Word of God and the testimony of Jesus. What's that? Well, it means he spoke the Word. Testimony of Jesus. It's the same thing. It's all about Christ. He spoke about Christ being uh, crucified, buried, and rising again. He ascended to the heavens. He's the King of Kings. That's why he was banished to Patmos. Diocletian is not going to put up with that kind of criminal offense against the Roman Empire. Basically, it's against the emperor himself. Because Diocletian wanted to be God and to be called Lord God. So, there it is. And what's the result of the enemy putting him where he's at? This is horrible. He's a Christian. He served Jesus Christ. He walked with Jesus Christ. And you mean to tell me a Christian has faith 
pleasing the Lord and he's on an isle of Patmos like that? What kind of God does he have? And a lot of people look at that way. If you have suffering, then I don't want that kind of God. Have you ever heard of anybody say that? I'm sure you probably have. I don't like the suffering God. Well, then you don't like the true God. The thing is, here's the real deal. If you look at it the way that God's looking at it, from our vantage point, it doesn't look too good. Things don't look good now in our country. But you know what? We know that the Lord has a plan that is just awesome. And the way that we're going to get to that kingdom is through tribulation. It says in Acts, I think, 14, there's many tribulations to get into the kingdom of God as we proceed through. Well, here's the deal. This is the good news. The Romans want to shut him down. They want to take his freedom of speech away. They want to take his preaching of the word of God away. I'm sure there was... Something there about Christianity that was offensive. Yeah, that's right. It's the cross. Here's the deal. They wanted to shut him down. And did you know there at that island, he was given the greatest revelation of Jesus Christ ever in his holy attire and his person. And then what's going to happen in the future? A lot of details we see even in the Old Testament like the book of Daniel, other places. But he fills it out. And we're given as much revelation on who Christ is and the future as we possibly can have. You can't have any more other than what is here. It's tremendous. It's so tremendous that most people don't even want to read it because they say they can't understand it. But he says, blessed is the one who reads and understands this and heeds to it. So, the Word of God and testimony, that's why he's there. Now, he's given a command. It says in verse 10, we finished 9 there, right? I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. Um, here we go. He is in the Spirit on the Lord's day, he was in the Spirit. Well, there's one thing about being filled with the Spirit, and I believe he is. But let's take a step a little bit higher. He goes into a transcending way from what would normally be a human way of thinking. He, go, he went beyond sight and hearing and taste, and touch, and smell. It's not experienced by the normal human senses of what happened. He says this is, there's no, this is not merely a human experience that he's going through. This is not normal at all. This is supernatural. It's not by his own mind. It's not that he's just kind of thinking about this. It's not some kind of fantasy. It's not some imagination that John is coming up with there. See, he's empowered through the Holy Spirit to go beyond the normal senses. He was taken into a condition that supernaturally revealed to him. All these things that are going to be taking place, it's like he's there somehow, some way. It's into a state where God could reveal supernaturally the content of this book of Revelation. 
Other prophets of God experienced something like this in the Old Testament, like Ezekiel. In the New Testament, like the Apostle Peter and Paul, where they saw the risen Lord, where they saw Him in His brilliant glory. This is a supernatural experience. It's on the Lord's Day or Sunday as we know it. Lord's Day was known as that particular day, the first day of the week. The Holy Holy Spirit had descended on the day of Pentecost, which was the first day of the week. Jesus, of course, before that, had risen on the first day of the week. The Corinthians that Paul instructed those believers to take collections we're also worshiping on Sunday. And when you come together on Sunday or the first day of the week, take those collections, be stewards. So we know that that's why we worship on Sunday. And the Lord's Day is known as Sunday here. And that's what He says. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And I heard behind me a loud voice. You'll notice when we go through Revelation, that's a word that you're going to see quite frequently. Loud. I can get louder. You want me to? (laughs) It's all right. Like the sound of a trumpet. Trumpets are pretty loud. I could do it, trumpet, but I'm not going to do it. Write what you see and send to the seven churches. Write in a book what you see. Send it to the seven churches, which is to Ephesus, to Thyatira, Smyrna, Pergamum, there's Thyatira, sorry, twice, Sardis, Philadelphia, Laodicea. Seven churches. And he says, write this. It's going to go to them. Each church is going to get a letter. They're going to see what John saw in words. First couple of chapters, for the most part, they're going to be, I think, alarmed. Because the holiness of God is being presented here today. Verse 12. Here's the vision. 12 through 16. This is a real vision that John saw, and he relates it to the rest of the body of Christ. The voice here is the risen, glorious Christ. Then I turned to see the voice. That's interesting, isn't it? He heard the voice. He turns to see this voice that was speaking with me. Speaking to John. I'm sure he's probably going at first. Who, me? (laughs) Me? Uh... He knows Christ quite well. John is even called the Beloved One. He loves Him. But he's not expecting this to happen. He's somehow transcended from this human apprehension. In the Old Testament, there was always a symbol for Israel's national testimony to God on the earth to his Old Testament 
people to bear witness, to shine the light of God into the Gentile world nations. That's what the Old Testament was about. To Israel, they were to cast the light of who God is, not only to themselves, but to the rest of the world, to all the nations. The Church of Christ gives testimony to God on the earth. The church today is what is giving testimony. We are the salt, we are the light. We give testimony to the person of Christ because He is not here on earth to be seen. He lives in us. Holy Spirit resides in us, but the world does not see Him. We bear witness of Him. So, he says, having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Here's the voice. Then he sees the seven golden lampstands in the Old Testament. You will notice that there are lampstands. You think of the temple and this, uh, the lampstand with the seven there in it representing the light of the world. Who is Jesus Christ? But He shines through His body. The church. Us. That's what we do. That's who we are. It's His light. How much do we want the, that light shining out, right? Well, I hope it will be a lot more after today that our light will shine even brighter in a dark, dark world. So, seven lampstands. And they testify, uh, first of all, how many lampstands? Seven. How many times do you see seven in Revelation? Probably 70 times seven. <laughs> it's over and over and over. Seven is regarding a number of completeness. Of fullness. We looked at the seven spirits last week. It's the fullness of God's Holy Spirit. Candlesticks. Seven separate local churches giving testimony to the Lord Jesus. Say, how do you know who or what the lampstands are? We'll look in verse 20. It tells us. I don't have to try to make up some kind of interpretation. (laughs) It's right here. And at the end of tw- or tw- well, verse 20, as for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw on the right hand, the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So each church is a lampstand. He's writing to them, and then in chapter 2, we go right into there. So he starts with this, and what does he say about the lampstands? Well, they're not really the focus. Why well, we just talked about that? Wow, golden lampstands—they have light. They have oil, you know, the olive oil there and such, right? Matter of fact, go to Zechariah chapter four, verse two. Zechariah is near the Old Testament, end of the Old Testament, very close. Zechariah four, verse two. The angel who was speaking me with the with me returned and roused me as a man who was awakened from his sleep. He said to me, "What do you see?" And I said, "I see and behold, a lampstand all of gold with its bowl on the top of it and its seven lamps on it with seven sprouts belonging to each of the lamps which are on the top of it. Also, two olive trees. What comes out of olive trees? 
olive oil which keeps it lit perpetually one on the uh, right side of it uh, of the bowl another on its left side and I said to the angel who was speaking with me saying what are these my lord and we came up with the fact that this is how God gets his truth you know the two olive branches there continually giving oil and of course we have a supply of the oil, don't we, today. So the fulfillment is the the churches, ultimately, with Christ, the Holy Spirit there, taking residence. And it says here that seven golden lampstands, and in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man. So you have the lampstands, but what's the focus? One in the middle there is like a son of man. Who's this? Well, I propose, without taking too much of a chance, as many writers say, this is the son of God, who is the son of man. He's called a son of man, like a son of man. I remind you of the book of Daniel. We're in chapter 7. We looked at that last week and we've looked at it quite frequently. If you want to look at that just a moment, here is Daniel. Daniel and Revelation coincide. They parallel. They help each other out, don't they? Daniel 7, there was a vision that Daniel saw as he saw quite many of them. And verse 9, I kept looking until thrones were set up and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His vesture was like white snow and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was ablaze with flames. Its wheels were a burning fire. A river of fire was flowing and coming out from before him. Thousands upon thousands were attending him. The word there for thousands is... Marius, do we have a Marius here today? <laughs> Marius, do you hear that? Thousands upon thousands, millions upon millions. You can't count them, there's that many. That's a biblical word, Marius. Yes. Myriads, there we go, right there. Myriads upon myriads were standing before him. Get it? The court sat, the books were open. Now look at verse 13. I kept looking. I guess so. (laughs) He's wide awake. And the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, one like a son of man was coming. And he came up to the ancient of days and was presented before him. Guess what? This is the son of man. Jesus referred to him as the son of man quite frequently. It was his favorite Name, title, Son of Man. In the book of Luke, you see that all over. By the way, in Matthew, you see the king. In Mark, you see the servant. In Luke, you see man. And in John, you see God. King, servant, man, God. Good way to remember the Gospels. As you read through those, you keep those in mind. The Son of Man in Luke. So, one like a Son of Man. He identifies with man, identifies with us. He is man, but also, even more so, Son of Man means deity. He is God. 
So there we go. He's in the midst. He's the focal point. Spirit of God wants these seven churches of Asia Minor to recognize the One who is in their midst. Do you remember Jesus? Before He ascended, Lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. I am with you always. I'm eternally with you. I'm in the midst of you, seven churches. I'm in the midst of you, church through 2,000 years. Get this. I'm in the midst of you, Grace Community Church. Do you like that? He's here. As long as we proclaim Him and honor Him, He is glorified. He likes that. He loves that. That's what we are about to proclaim Him. So let's look at His clothes now. He's in the midst of the seven churches. And He says in 13, And in the middle of the lampstands I saw one like a son of man, right? Clothed in a robe reaching to the feet and girded across His chest with a golden sash. There's his clothes. Jesus is known as the prophet, the priest, the king. The three offices of Christ. I've got a feeling the guys back there on on the last row, the little kids, they know about those particular offices. They, I think they were taught many times. I saw it quite frequently in, in the uh, teaching room, in the classroom there, and Zach made sure that they knew this prophet, priest, and king. Now Malachi's going like this. I'm not sure what that means. I think he's probably saying, I want to shout it out. <laughs> Do you guys remember that now, right? Prophet, priest, and king is what he is. Well, here we see him as a priest slash king has a long robe he came as the prophet didn't he he's prophesying here but a robe is put on a linen white robe he's adorned by a sash across his breast Exodus 28.4 talks about the garb of the high priest of Israel he is the Fulfillment of the high priest. He's wearing the high priestly garbs. It's a little bit different in that the Lord is appearing here. Not only as the priest who is the one who goes before us, who is the intercessor. That's what priests do, don't they? They are the go-between. The priests are the mediators. Christ is the high priest. He mediates between God and man. He's the bridge builder. He takes us to God the Father. That's the only way we have access is through the priest. That's why the people could only go so far in the tabernacle, in the temple. They couldn't go back into the Holy of Holies. When Christ died, the veil was torn in two and it showed access to God. Guess who now has access to God? We're the priest. We go in. There no longer is is any need for one priest in a church. We're all priests. But He is the high priest. He is a judge. He's appearing as their priest, as their 
judge is an advocate too, but here is the priest judge before us. Look in Hebrews 2.17, next chapter. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden man, and I'll give him a white stone and a new name written on the stone, which is no doubt. But he who receives it... Uh, I'm sorry. You know that's in Hebrews 2, 17, don't you? You, know, you guys already turned there because you saw it in your notes. I didn't turn to that book. I love that verse. A little freebie there for us. Therefore, he had... He had um, He had to be made like His brethren in all things so that He might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make propitiation, to satisfy God's justice and righteousness for the sins of the people. He's the only priest that could do that. Nobody else can do that. It was Him. Okay. Staying in Hebrews, chapter 3, verse 1. Dennis, stay in Hebrews. 3, 1. Therefore, holy brethren, partakers of heavenly calling, consider Jesus the apostle and high priest of our confession. There again, He's our high priest. He is our go-between, our intercessor. Chapter 4, verse 14. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. If He's interceding for us, who can be against us? The anchor is laid there in heaven. We're secure forever, eternally. The high priest is interceding for us. Even right now, we could very well be sinning. We could be thinking things in our mind and not even pay attention to who Christ is and about His Word. And you know what? He's interceding for us. Father, please. He's okay. He's alright. He just, he just got off, off base for a moment. Turn His attention back to us. Right? Even, you know what? Even at our highest, even at our own prayers, we fall short of the glory of God. We have to have the Holy Spirit to intercede for us. To make sure that it's perfect. So our inadequate prayers are made perfect by Christ and the Holy Spirit goes to God and that intercession is now perfect. Oh, thank You, Lord. I, feel, I fall so far short in my prayer life. Thank You, Lord. Now, what's his person? Well, his, we, we've seen his clothes in Revelation 1, haven't we? Yeah, we're doing pretty good on time, folks. Okay. So he's clothed in a robe, reaching to the feet, and girded across his chest with a golden sash. His head... And his hair were white like white wool, like snow. Okay, let's stop there. Just dealing, I guess you could say here, dealing with his hair, white like wool, even snow. The whiteness, the purity, 
his person is to purify the church. He is pure. He is here to purify the church. And it's dealing with discipline. The Lord Jesus disciplines His children, doesn't He? Discipline sounds negative. Oh, He had to discipline Him. Not necessarily. One can be without even sinning and be disciplined. Discipline really means to train. Train up a child in the way that they go. The idea is there is discipline them. Teach them. They are to learn from you, right? Discipline can be, we think, a punishment. But the Father really doesn't punish us. He does discipline us. And if we we have sinned, He's training us or disciplining us to be on the right way, right? And so, when you think of this discipline and all of this that's happening and is purifying, remember that it's for our own good. Go to Daniel chapter 7, verse 9. Back to Daniel, right? Isaiah, and then you have Jeremiah, Ezekiel, then your Daniel. Daniel, chapter 7, verse 9, which we read earlier. I kept looking till thrones were set up in the ancient of days took his seat anyway. His vesture was like white snow, the hair of his head like pure wool. Wool. Snow. White. Bright. Illuminating. Brilliant. I'm trying to think of a word that would just shout at you. You know, we think of maybe some white walls or you know white white paper this is pretty white isn't it isn't that white nah in in here it's whiter than this it's brighter than that this is speaking of holiness speaking of purity he's identical to the ancient of days he's pure he's omniscient He's holy. He is God. He is true. Hair white like wool. Snow. Keep going. Eyes like a flame of fire. Now, we've got this, the clothing as being white, as bright as you can imagine. And then, speaks about not only his person of judgment, because he's purifying here, that's what he's going to do to the seven churches in chapters 2 and 3. That's what he does to the church today. And you'll remember that judgment starts the household of God. Yeah, he's got a lot of judging of the world to do. Now, where does he start first? Is he purifying the church today? Are they being tested? I think so. Will they be tested even further? I believe so. Because He's going to make us pure. His bride is going to be pure. Already is in that we are holy. We are saints. 
But we're still tainted because we live in these bodies as we are incarcerated in the flesh where the flesh wants us to sin. The flesh is always against the Spirit. Spirit against the flesh, you have a war. That's why the purity has to come in. Get rid of that junk continually throughout our lives here in the flesh. His eyes are like a flame of fire. Look in Revelation chapter 2, verse 18. 2.18 And to the angel of the church in Thyatira write, the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and his feet are like burnished prongs. Remember that. Eyes like a flame of fire. You have completely bright white light, dazzling in his clothing with his robes going down like a kingly robe, like a priestly robe. And now he has eyes that are like fire that are penetrating out of him. They're fiery eyes. Holiness here. It sears our souls and judges us righteously according to God's holiness in all His perfect perfection and holiness. It speaks specifically, specifically, I think, of Christ's omniscience. He knows everything that we think. The holiness. Eyes flame of fire. The omniscience. He is the God who is all-seeing, isn't He? He can see into the depths of our hearts. The Word of God penetrates into our hearts, doesn't it? And makes us repent and desire to be more and more like Christ as He is purifying us. Saints, holy ones, pure, set apart. What's the next one in Revelation? Eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like burnished bronze when it has been made to glow in a furnace. It's bronze that is glowing in the furnace. Again, brightness, purity. It's glowing. Now that brass, if you have brass in your translation, it's translated bronze. That helps us uh, quite a bit because in the Old Testament speaks of a figure of judgment. It uses the word bronze in that connotation. At the temple was an altar when you came in with your lamb, your bull, your goat. And on that, at that brazen altar, that brazen altar is bronze. And that was put on there. And of course there's a fire going there in that brazen altar. It's a sacrifice for sin. The brazen altar represented what? The cross. When you come there, the, the sacrifice was presented. Christ was presented at the cross. It took a fire, took judgment there to burn away our sins, didn't it? So, you have a high priest who intercedes for us, who also is our judge, who purifies us. He does not judge us to hell, saying, well, I know you are a Christian, but you did some things on the other side, and 
they far outweigh your good acts. You've got to get out of here. You're going to hell. That's not at all truth whatsoever. It's all His works, by the way, anyway. Our works are no good anyway. It's Christ's work. We go on the merits of Christ and Christ alone. So, what do we have here? We have somebody who's judging, purifying, and in chapters 2 and 3, that's what that's about. He's going to do it. He's going to purify His church, and He did it to them. He does it to the church all the time. He's done it to us. He will continue to do it. He wants us pure. Now, His voice was like the sound of many waters. Whenever I said, when Jesus spoke, it was loud. It's like many waters. Has anybody here ever been to Niagara Falls? Nobody? Well, okay, how about, how about any kind of falls where there's a big river and it's rapid and it's going over the rocks and you can barely hear or talk to anybody that's near you. Have you ever been there? How about at the Bagno Dam whenever they open the gates up? Are we getting close there? Table Rock Lake, there we go. It's loud, isn't it? That's what we're talking about here. Now where's John at? Isle of Patmos. Rocky, craggy, kind of little cliffs. The ocean comes in there. The water's splattering up, you know, on the, on the at the very top there. It is loud there. He heard that all the time. Here is a loud voice like many waters. Whatever it is, Jesus is not quiet here at this point in time. And John hears every word of this. Clear. Concise. Understandable. All at the same time, he's blown away. And it is loud. Folks, it is loud in heaven. Most of revelation with what is going on. It's not some quiet little subdued place. It is loud. And here we have this loud voice. John does not mistake a word. So his voice was like the sound of many waters. And in his right hand he held seven stars, and out of his mouth came a sharp two-edged sword, and his face was like the sun shining in its strength. Like the sound of many waters we covered there. It's Christ's authority. No other voice can be heard. Christ and Christ alone is the one who needs to be heard. That's the idea. Focus on Him. He is the one to be heard. So there is speaking with authority to the church. What do we have? We have, of course, his his clothes there, right? I think we started off with uh, his presence was amongst them. Then we saw his clothes, how brilliant they were. Then we looked at his person and it talked about his hair and 
Now we're seeing, you know, dealing with his strength and, and his face and such, and he has his garments and his eyes and his feet and with his voice. I mean, what you can see, hear, touch, you know, all the senses are involved for John. He's really sensing this. Get a load of that. Now it's seven stars, seven messengers. It's dealing with controlling the church. He controls it all. Now, to a lot of people, to Christians, that should be liberating. Because He controls the church. He controls your life. I like that. Some people don't like people to control them. They don't want God to control them. I'll give Him a little bit of control. Even Christians could say, I want Him to control, but I still want to do what I want to do. Well, if you do what He wants to do, you're doing what you want to do because you're lining up with God's will. We can't lose with that, can we? So, right hand. It's the hand of power. It's the hand of favor. It's the hand of protection. He holds you in His hand. He holds the church in His hands. Isn't that, isn't that great? He holds the church. The stars are, of course, in verse 20, are the messengers of the church. As they will extend the message of this book, letter to the churches. He's in control of the churches. That's good news. He's the head of the church. And then we see that He is protecting the church. And for the next number of weeks, we will be seeing the seven letters that were sent to the seven churches by the seven messengers. And there are some scathing criticisms of the church. Each church, basically. Most churches. Remember, he's the high priest also as he intercedes for them. But he's also the judge. Do you see this vision, how important it is to get this before we go on? Always have the cross. Always have Christ before you, before you do anything. Before you move on, have the cross at the heart of it all. Whatever you do the rest of this day as you walk out of here, pretty shortly here, do it with the mind of Christ. Have Him in your thinking. Praying always. Praying always is not necessarily going like this, Oh dear Heavenly Father. It's just knowing His presence is with you always and you're always dependent upon Him. As you drive your car, you're realizing, hey, I'm thankful I have a car here. You know, thank, thank the Lord. He's with me, you know. And as I drive along, I want to be safe. Well, the Lord's with me. You know? You're praying these things. And maybe or it's just not necessarily in, in the official way that we think what pray, uh, praising and prayer is. But the stars, the uh, churches are secure in his right hand. He has a two-edged sword. 
Look at chapter 2, verse 12. What is a two-edged sword? My. To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, the one who has the sharp (laughs) two-edged sword says this, I know where you dwell. Where Satan's throne is... Enough. Move on now. Chapter (laughs) chapter, uh, 19, verse 15. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. This is the judge that is going to judge unbelievers to an eternity in hell. He disciplines and corrects the church and purifies them as being a judge. But here, this judge is judging all the unbelievers with the very wrath of God as He comes back. Literally, that's the idea. Christ on a white horse. What a view that is. That's almost and is as good as chapter 1. What I want you to do is turn back to Daniel, I think it's chapter 10. And look at the view that Daniel had. Daniel 10. Kind of interesting. You'll see a lot of similarities here. It says in verse 5, I lifted my eyes. This is what Daniel saw. Oh, 500 years or so before Christ was ever born, he he sees a vision. I lifted my eyes, look, behold, (laughs) there was a certain man dressed in linen whose waist was girded with a belt of pure gold of Uvaz. The best that could be. His body also was like beryl. His face had the appearance of lightning. His eyes were like flaming torches. His arms and his feet like the gleam of polished bronze and feet like the gleam of polished bronze and the sound of his words like the sound of a tumult. Does this sound familiar? Does this sound like Revelation 1? Daniel saw a vision of Christ also. Most commentators will tell you that that's who that is there. Sounds like the very one we had here. He purifies the church. He protects the church. He judges the unbeliever. He has a two-edged sword, and you remember in Hebrews chapter 4, don't you, what it says about the Word of God that is what we have in our hands today, this Word of God. It's a judging power. Um, can you see the glory? If you're looking at, at uh, Hebrews 4, I got the wrong one, and, and the, at the moment I am amiss. I kind of <laughs> took that out of my brain, and I'm going, okay, I'm saying, so, and probably some of you know exactly where that scripture's at. 
Um, I usually do. It's not here, so I'll move on. Yes, it is. Twelve. Okay, it is. It is there. Okay, it wasn't. Okay. For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit, of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are opened and laid bare to the eyes of him. And then we have to do it. Penetrates. Thank you there, Penny, for getting that. I knew it was somewhere. Had to be. You know what? That's what he does. The Word of God is what comes in, penetrates. And we look now at a revelation, and it's dealing with his countenance. The sun shining in its strength. His countenance is like the bright sun. It's brilliant there is the word. The word also is when it says strength, shining in its strength, is dunamis. Dynamite is the word in English. The strength that is there. His face like the sun shining in all of its strength. The sun, noonday, summer day, as bright as it can be. It's brighter than that even. It's how bright it is. He's the judge of His people. That's what He does. He ministers to His people with His Word of God. His face shines in its strength. Now, last part, number three. Here's the effects of this vision on John. He fears. He's then given a vision, or uh, actually assurance, because of this vision, and then it is what he is commanded to do. It's his duty. Okay, you fear the Lord. Then he says, fear not. You're assured. And he says, now, do this for my glory. So this is where we're at. Here is the last part. When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. I guess so. What would you do? This was too much. It's just like he's dead. And he placed his right hand on me saying, Do not be afraid. He says, Fear not. How many times have we seen that when an angel has appeared? Fear not. I am the first and the last. I am the A. I am the Z. The living one. I am the one who is living right now. John had seen him raised from the dead. He saw him as being resurrected. And I was dead. Who can this be? It's God. What person of the Trinity died? Christ did. Is Christ God? Yes, He's deity. And He says, Behold, I am alive forevermore, and I have the keys of death and Hades. So there's assurance, isn't it? Therefore, write the things which you have seen. Here's your outline for all of Revelation. Things which you've seen, things which are, things which will take place after these things. As for the mystery of the seven stars, which you saw in my right hand, and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. Seven lampstands are the seven churches. Here it is. He's overwhelmed 
falls before Christ and the hand of Christ touches him. And he says it's okay. He holds the church. A saint of God has that same assurance, the touch. Does that help you? Does that help you? Living. He says, I am the living one and I have the keys of death and Hades. He came from the dead. He rose. He's alive. He's alive forevermore. He says, because I died, because I rose again, I have the keys of Hades, a place for the soul. Christ snatched from Satan His power over death. He beat Him at the cross and the resurrection. And we see that the keys are now in His hands. There's no longer death for us. We died. We were dead spiritually and He rose us again. He made us alive. Our bodies will die But our new man lives on forever. He doesn't die. Would this have been great encouragement for the people that were being persecuted? The suffering. Persecuted believers hear this. So what? Okay, if we do die, where do we go? Right with the Lord Jesus. We can't lose. The duty is, he says, write the things which you've seen which the things that you see now that are going on now and what is in the future. Chapter 1 is basically past. John was writing the book. And, of course, the description of the Lord Jesus Christ is right now. And then the things that will come, right? I sum this up more for then. Do you see the potential power of God to work in us now and His power. Do you see the potential problem in the church? Yeah. What was it in John's day? Read the next two chapters. They lost a vision of the glorified Lord. The resurrected Lord. They lost that vision of it. They we're not obedient to Christ. Satan is so conscious that many godly people are deflected by outright evil and get consumed by the things of the world, obsessed by other things, and have not put their focus on Christ. That's why we have that passage that we just looked at. Is it glorious? He is holy. He is pure. You know what? The power of the Spirit is what we always need. We need a fresh view of Christ every day or gradually we will be drawn away from the person of Christ, from our devotion to Christ. We're going to see in the weeks ahead the churches are representatives of the churches in John's day. Not only those seven churches, churches everywhere, and I believe that they are representatives of the church right up 
to our day. We're in danger, folks. Take heed of losing sight of Christ. Look at this picture that we saw here. Look at the cross. Look at where victory really is at. And fear not. We are to fear Him as being holy. Fear God, but yet at the same time, be assured of who you are in Christ. Look at Him always. Look at the revelation of Him. We've been given the full revelation right here. That's why we need a revelation of Him constantly. The testimony of Jesus Christ. Do you have it? Do you have the Word of God? The testimony of Christ. It's in the local churches that hold truth to His Word today. We have now been given a fresh vision of the glorified Lord. That, and that alone, Christ alone, is how we live this life eternally. This is what we want to focus on always. What a vision we've been given. What a glimpse of glory. Father, great God, You are tremendous. There are not enough words, not enough adjectives to describe who You are. We're overwhelmed that You would even give this to Your people to see. We see it spiritually. We look to the day where we truly see You as You are right now as we have just been given a description. We want to see that with our eyes. We want to behold You, the risen Lord. That's why we come here today to honor You. And may we take heed as we walk out of here not to lose that sight of Christ in all His glory. Because that's what keeps us going. That's what we need to see. He's in our lives. You are in our life constantly. And Lord, thank You for this opportunity today to come together to honor, to glorify You. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen.